Chapter Six, Part Two of Little Masterpieces of Science, Health and Healing. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anna Simon. Little Masterpieces of Science, Health and Healing, edited by George Isles. Chapter Six: The Art of Prolonging Life, Part Two, by Robson Roos, M.D. In order to prolong life, and at the same time to enjoy it, occupation of some kind is absolutely necessary. It is a great mistake to suppose that idleness is conducive to longevity. It is at all times better to wear out than to rust out, and the latter process is apt to be speedily accomplished. Every one must have met with individuals who, while fully occupied till sixty or even seventy years of age, remained hale and strong, but aged with marvellous rapidity after relinquishing work, a change in their mental condition becoming especially prominent. There is an obvious lesson to be learned from such instances, but certain qualifications are necessary in order to apply it properly. With regard to mental activity, there is abundant evidence that the more the intellectual faculties are exercised, the greater the probability of their lasting. They often become stronger after the vital force has passed its culminating point and this retention of mental power is the true compensation for the decline in bodily strength. Did space permit, many illustrations could be adduced to show that the power of the mind can be preserved almost unimpaired to the most advanced age. Even memory, the failure of which is sometimes regarded as a necessary concomitant of old age, is not infrequently preserved almost up to the end of life. All persons of middle age should take special pains to keep the faculties and energies of the mind in a vigorous condition. They should not simply drift on in a haphazard fashion, but should seek and find pleasure in the attainment of definite objects. Even if the mind has not been especially cultivated, or received any decided bent, there is at the present day no lack of subjects on which it can be agreeably and profitably exercised. Many sciences which, twenty or thirty years ago, were accessible only to the few, and wore at best a somewhat uninviting garb, have been rendered not merely intelligible, but even attractive to the many, and, in the domain of general literature, the difficulty of making a choice among the host of allurements is the only ground for complaint. To increase the taste for these and kindred subjects is worth a considerable effort, if such be necessary, but the appetite will generally come with the eating. The possession of some reasonable hobby, which can be cultivated indoors, is a great advantage in old age, and there are many pursuits of this character besides those connected with literature and science. Talleyrand laid great stress on a knowledge of whist as indispensable to a happy old age, and doubtless to many old people that particular game affords not only recreation, but a pleasant exercise to the mind. It is, however, an unworthy substitute for higher objects and should be regarded only as an amusement, and not as an occupation. Whatever be the sphere of mental activity, no kind of strain must be put upon the mind by a person who has reached sixty-five or seventy years. The feeling that mental power is less than it once was not infrequently stimulates a man to increased exertions, which may provoke structural changes in the brain, and will certainly accelerate the progress of any that may exist in that organ. When a man finds that a great effort is required to accomplish any mental task that was once easy, he should desist from the attempt, and regulate his work according to his power. 
with this limitation it may be taken for granted that the mental faculties will be far better preserved by their exercise than by their disuse somewhat different advice must be given with regard to bodily exercises in the reference to longevity exercise is essential to the preservation of health inactivity is a potent cause of wasting and degeneration the vigour and equality of the circulation the functions of the skin and the aeration of the blood are all promoted by muscular activity which thus keeps up a proper balance and relation between the important organs of the body in youth the vigour of the system is often so great that if one organ be sluggish another part will make amends for the deficiency by acting vicariously and without any consequent damage to itself in old age the tasks cannot be thus shifted from one organ to another the work allotted to each sufficiently taxes its strength and vicarious action cannot be performed without mischief hence the importance of maintaining as far as possible the equable action of all the bodily organs so that the share of the vital processes assigned to each shall be properly accomplished for this reason exercise is an important part of the conduct of life in old age but discretion is absolutely necessary an old man should discover by experience how much exercise he can take without exhausting his powers and should be careful never to exceed the limit old persons are apt to forget that their staying powers are much less than they once were and that while a walk of two or three miles may prove easy and pleasurable the addition of a return journey of similar length will seriously overtax the strength above all things sudden and rapid exertion should be scrupulously avoided by persons of advanced age the machine which might go on working for years at a gentle pace often breaks down altogether when its movements are suddenly exhilarated these cautions may appear superfluous but instances in which their disregard is followed by very serious consequences are by no means infrequent no fixed rule can be laid down as to the kind of exercise most suitable for advanced age much must depend upon individual circumstances and peculiarities but walking in the open air should always be kept up and practised daily except in unfavourable weather walking is a natural form of exercise and subserves many important purposes not a few old people owe the maintenance of their health and vigour to their daily constitutional riding is an excellent form of exercise but available only by a few the habit if acquired in early life should be kept up as long as possible subject to the caution already given as to violent exercise old persons of both sexes fond of gardening and so situated that they may gratify their tastes are much to be envied body and mind are alike exercised by what lord bacon justly termed the purest of human pleasures dr parkes goes so far as to say that light garden or agricultural work is a very good exercise for men past seventy Quote, it calls into play the muscles of the abdomen and back which in old men are often but little used and the work is so varied that no muscle is kept long in action a few remarks must be made in conclusion with regard to a new form of exercise sometimes indulged in even by elderly men i allude to so-called tricycling exhilarating and pleasant as it may be to glide over the ground with comparatively little effort the exercise is fraught with danger for men who have passed the grand climacteric 
the temptation to make a spurt must be often irresistible hills must be encountered some perhaps so smooth and gradual as to require no special exertion none at least that is noticed in the triumph of surmounting them now if the heart and lungs be perfectly sound such exercises may be practised for some time with apparent impunity but if as is very likely to be the case these organs be not quite structurally perfect even the slightest changes will under such excitement rapidly progress and lead to very serious results exercise unsuited to the state of the system will assuredly not tend to the prolongation of life with regard to food we find from dr humphrey's report that ninety per cent of the aged persons were either moderate or small eaters and such moderation is quite in accord with the teachings of physiology in old age the changes in the bodily tissues gradually become less and less active and less food is required to make up for the daily waste the appetite and the power of digestion are correspondingly diminished and although for the attainment of a great age a considerable amount of digestive power is absolutely necessary its perfection when exercised upon proper articles of diet is the most important characteristic indulgence in the pleasures of the table is one of the common errors of advanced life and is not infrequent in persons who up to that period were moderate or even small eaters luxuries in the way of food are apt to be regarded as rewards that have been fully earned by a life of labour and may therefore be lawfully enjoyed hence arise many of the evils and troubles of old age and notably indigestion and gouty symptoms in various forms besides mental discomfort no hard and fast rules can be laid down but strict moderation should be the guiding maxim the diet suitable for most aged persons is that which contains much nutritive material in a small bulk and its quantity should be in proportion to the appetite and power of digestion animal food well cooked should be taken sparingly and not more often than twice a day except under special circumstances dr parkes advocates rice as a partial substitute for meat when the latter is found to disagree with old persons Quote, its starch grains are very digestible and it supplies nitrogen in moderate amount well fitted to the worn and slowly repaired tissues of the aged its bulk however is sometimes a disadvantage in small quantities it is a valuable addition to milk and to stewed fruits the amount of food taken should be divided between three or four meals at fairly regular intervals a sense of fullness or oppression after eating ought not to be disregarded it indicates that the food taken has been either too abundant or of improper quality for many elderly people the most suitable time for the principal meal is between one and two p m as the day advances the digestive powers become less and even a moderately substantial meal taken in the evening may seriously overtask them undigested food is a potent cause of disturbed sleep an evil often very troublesome to old people and one which ought to be carefully guarded against it is an easier task to lay down rules with regard to the use of alcoholic liquors by elderly people the collective investigation committee of the british medical association has lately issued a report on the connection of disease with habits of intemperance and two at least of the conclusions arrived at are worth quoting Quote, habitual indulgence in alcoholic liquors beyond the most moderate amount 
has a distinct tendency to shorten life, the average shortening being roughly proportional to the degree of indulgence. Total abstinence and habitual temperance augment considerably the chance of death from old age or natural decay without special pathological lesion. End quote. Subject, however, to a few exceptions, it is not advisable that a man sixty-five or seventy years of age, who has taken alcohol in moderation all his life, should suddenly become an abstainer. Old age cannot readily accommodate itself to changes of any kind, and to many old people a little good wine with their meals is a source of great comfort. To quote again from Ecclesiasticus, quote, Wine is as good as life to a man if it be drunk moderately, for it was made to make man glad. End quote. Elderly persons, particularly at the close of the day, often find that their nervous energy is exhausted, and require a little stimulant to induce them to take a necessary supply of proper nourishment, and perhaps to aid the digestive powers to convert their food to a useful purpose. In the debility of old age, and especially when sleeplessness is accompanied by slow and imperfect digestion, a small quantity of a generous and potent wine, containing much ether, often does good service. Even a little beer improves digestion in some old people. Others find that spirits, largely diluted, fulfil the same purpose. Individual peculiarities must be allowed for. The only general rule is that which prescribes strict moderation. It is not to be inferred from the hints given in the preceding paragraphs that the preservation of health should be the predominant thought in the minds of elderly persons who desire that their lives should be prolonged. To be always guarding against disease, and to live in a state of constant fear and watchfulness, would make existence miserable and hasten the progress of decay. Selfish, undue solicitude with regard to health not only fails to attain its object, but is apt to induce that diseased condition of mind known as hypochondriasis, the blues, the victims of which are always a burden and a nuisance, if not to themselves, at least to all connected with them. Addison, in The Spectator, after describing the valetudinarian who constantly weighed himself and his food, and yet became sick and languishing, aptly remarks, quote, A continual anxiety for life vitiates all the relishes of it, and casts a gloom over the whole face of nature, as it is impossible that we should take delight in anything that we are every moment afraid of losing. End quote. Sleep is closely connected with the question of diet. Good sleeping was a noticeable feature in the large majority of Dr. Humphreys's cases. Sound, refreshing sleep is of the utmost consequence to the health of the body, and no substitute can be found for it as a restorer of vital energy. Sleeplessness is, however, often a source of great trouble to elderly people, and one which is not easily relieved. Narcotic remedies are generally mischievous. Their first effects may be pleasant, but the habit of depending upon them rapidly grows until they become indispensable. When this stage has been reached, the sufferer is in a far worse plight than before. In all cases, the endeavour should be made to discover whether the sleeplessness be due to any removable cause, such as indigestion, cold, want of exercise, and the like. In regard to sleeping in the daytime, there is something to be said both for and against that practice. A nap of forty wings in the afternoon enables many aged people to get through the rest of the day in comfort, whereas they feel tired and weak when deprived of this refreshment. 
if they rest well at night there can be no objection to the afternoon nap but if sleeplessness be complained of the latter should be discontinued for a time most old people find that a reclining posture with the feet and legs raised is better than the horizontal position for the afternoon nap digestion proceeds with more ease than when the body is recumbent warmth is very important for the aged exposure to chills should be scrupulously avoided bronchitis is the malady most to be feared and its attacks are very easily provoked many old people suffer from more or less cough during the winter months and this symptom may recur year after year and be almost unheeded at last perhaps a few minutes exposure to a cold wind increases the irritation in the lungs the cough becomes worse and the difficulty of breathing increases until suffocation terminates in death to obviate such risk the skin should be carefully protected by warm flannel clothes the outdoor thermometer should be noticed and winter garments should always be at hand in cold weather the lungs should be protected by breathing through the nose as much as possible and by wearing a light woolen or silken muffler over the mouth the temperature of the sitting and bedrooms is another point which requires attention some old people pride themselves on never requiring a fire in their bedrooms it is however a risky practice to exchange a temperature of sixty-five or seventy degrees for one fifteen or twenty degrees lower as a general rule for persons sixty-five years of age and upward the temperature of the bedroom should not be below sixty degrees and when there are any symptoms of bronchitis it should be raised from five to ten degrees higher careful cleansing of the skin is the last point which needs to be mentioned in an article like the present attention to cleanliness is decidedly conducive to longevity and we may congratulate ourselves on the general improvement in our habits in this respect frequent washing with warm water is very advantageous for old people in whom the skin is only too apt to become hard and dry and the benefit will be increased if the ablutions be succeeded by friction with coarse flannel or linen gloves or with a flesh brush every part of the skin should be thus washed and rubbed daily the friction removes worn-out particles of the skin and the exercise promotes warmth and excites perspiration too much attention can hardly be paid to the state of the skin the comfort of the aged is greatly dependent upon the proper discharge of its functions such then are the principal measures by which life may be prolonged and health maintained down to the closing scene it remains to be seen whether as a result of progress of knowledge and civilization life will ever be protracted beyond the limit assigned to it in a preceding paragraph there is no doubt that the average duration of human life is capable of very great extension and that the same causes which serve to prolong life materially contribute toward the happiness of mankind the experience of the last few decades abundantly testifies to the marked improvement which has taken place in the public health statistics show that at the end of the septennial period eighteen eighty one to eighty seven four hundred thousand persons were alive in england and wales whose death would have taken place had the mortality been in the same proportion as during the previous decade it may be reasonably expected that as time goes on there will be an increase in the proportion of centenarians to the population as a whole the question whether long life is after all desirable does not admit of any general answer much depends upon the previous history of the individual 
and his bodily and mental condition the last stages of a well-spent life may be the happiest the shuffling off of the mortal coil though calmly expected need not be wished for the picture afforded by cheerful and mellow old age is a lesson to younger generations elderly people may if they choose become centres of improving and refining influence on the other hand old age cannot be regarded as a blessing when it is accompanied by profound decrepitude and disorder of mind and body senile dementia or second childishness is of all conditions perhaps the most miserable though not so painful to the sufferer as to those who surround him its advent may be accelerated by ignorance and neglect and almost assuredly retarded or prevented by such simple measures as have been suggested no one who has had opportunities of studying old people can shut his eyes to the fact that many of the incapabilities of age may be prevented by attention to a few simple rules the observance of which will not only prolong life and make it happier and more comfortable but will reduce to a minimum the period of decrepitude old age may be an incurable disease admitting of but one termination but the manner of that end and the condition which precedes it are though not altogether certainly to a very great extent within our own power dr robson ruse an eminent physician of london is the author of standard works on gout on nerve prostration on waste and repair in modern life the fortnightly review eighteen eighty nine contained the admirable article which follows it is reprinted with the kind permission of the author and the editor End of chapter 6